When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. It's not, I don't choose my, my food on sturdiness. Uh, well, if you're going to dunk it into hot liquid, you'd want a sturdy biscuit, wouldn't you? I, I want some flavour in there as well. I think, you know, if you're, if you're looking for a your top dunker. I think you gotta go ginger nut, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Problem with a hobnob is you get a bit of flotsam and jetsam from it, don't you? Yeah, and then it then it becomes are you the sort of man that would, you know, scoop up bits at the bottom of your tea? I would probably suggest that you are, but I'm definitely not. <laughs> Certainly not. Do you do that, John? Certainly not. No. I mean that is you know, that's turns my stomach that the bits at the bottom. I, w- I mean, I would, if I had a chocolate digestive and there was a bit of smearing on the side of the of the mug, I'd go for that. No, I'd throw it out. Throw the mug out? No, just give, just give it a, a wash immediately. If there was chocolate smeared all over it, no thanks. You know, sometimes you get a bit of a skid mark on the side of the mug. Yeah, I mean, I don't really understand why you're talking like, Talking about smears and skid marks when you're talking about biscuits, it's not massively appetising, is it? Not appealing, no. No. No, I'm just painting a picture. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Vividly. Mm. Got well, brown was... mugs at home, John, or have <laughs> <laughs> now. <laughs> this is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. So what happens when you have two games where both teams have very little to play for? 12 goals, a red card, hopefully no injuries, and a 35-year-old veteran taking up his position between the posts. The focus might be on the Champions League final in a couple of weeks' time, but in the meantime, we've had some pretty entertaining football to tide us over. On this week's Blue Moon podcast, we'll look back over the key moments of the games with Newcastle and Brighton and look ahead to another dead rubber against Everton. But fans are back in the Etihad for that one, and there's a trophy presentation to look forward to as well, so it's not all bad. I'm David Mooney, with me this week is the Daily Mail's Jack Gorn. Hello mate, you alright? I'm not too bad, thanks. And Goal.com's Jonathan Smith. Hello chaps. So uh, let's let's start off with um, I mean the first place I want to I want to start with these these games because you can't look back over them in kind of a normal way with the way that the, the, the season's been going the way that the season's gone and the way these two games have gone um, and there's one talking point that I wanted to focus on and uh, it isn't Scott Carson everybody so sorry about that um, but Jack Ferran Torres uh, he's he scored a hat trick his, his first City hat trick against uh, against Newcastle. And then he was, I felt, very unlucky to be taken off against Brighton with, with the red card and the reshuffle that was needed. Um, so what's what's this week done for him at City? Um, it's a good question, actually. I, he's, he looks like a confidence player to me. I don't, I, we haven't, we've not spoken to him uh, because of the pandemic, so we haven't really got any, don't really know what he's like as a, as a personality yet. Um, but the way Pep talks about it, it does feel as if, he is a confident player, uh, which is obviously quite common in the positions that he that he plays. I thought 
I thought I went to the game at Crystal Palace the other week. I thought it was quite a big afternoon for him because he looked a bit more robust and he did a lot of good work defensively. Um, that the players on the bench, because um, it was basically the first team on the bench, that they, they really appreciated it and were celebrating his tackles like they were like they were goals, and that felt like quite a quite an important moment for him. That it was almost as if he was not finally accepted, but some of them went, all right, okay, this this lad's got a bit about him, sort of thing. And then the, yeah. then the finishes at Newcastle were excellent, but it's the sort of thing that you would, you expect from him, having watched him get his proper chance in the Champions League um, in the group stages. And he's he obviously, obviously a very, very good good finisher, has an eye for goal. And when Pep talks about him, he, he, he often kind of gesticulates about him and his and he's smell for goal and his, and his nose for goal, um, which... You can always tell with with Pet what he thinks about a player from his body language. I always think, um, and when he talks about him inside the box, he's always effusive in, in his in his praise. So I don't know. I don't. I'd, it'd be interesting because I've not actually been that that impressed with him when he's played in his natural position this season. But then you almost want to give him like a little bit of a free pass this year because he's been in and out of the team. It's the first year away, you know, in a in a foreign land. Um, he's been away, he's been away from his family. And his sister's been over a little bit, but he's just not had that kind of, um, I guess, like unit around him to fall to to fall back on when yeah. things haven't been going his way. And it's not, I mean, it's not easy to settle in the in the best of circumstances anyway. But in a, in a year where you know travel's been difficult and you know the the pandemic has has had the effect it's had, it's it, I guess it makes it harder as well. Um, John, I mean, let's talk about that hat trick because the finishes were fantastic, weren't they? Yeah, um, but it was interesting. I, did, I wasn't at that game, so I was watching. Uh, I think it was on Sky. Was it? Was it on Sky? I can't remember. One of the two. But I think it was um, Andy Cole was sort of talking about how he how he has that. He, he seems to stand in the right position, and I think Pep also mentioned it after the game. Yeah, you know, he he did that thing where he sort of uh, shuffles his fingers and in front of his nose and says he's got the sense of goal. He's got the smell of goal and. And I think I think you could sort of see that in the in the way in all those goals against Newcastle, you know he's the the first one's a bit of an awkward height, so he's readjusted himself, got got a got a shot shot off on target. It turns out actually to be a fantastic little flick. Uh, so that's a great one. The second one was a good finish as well, and the third one he's standing in the right place. So it, it's kind of you know for a winger he seems to have that instinct for a goal, which. Um, you know, which is which is always a it, it's always going to help you. Um, you know, it's probably like you say it's been a difficult season for him. But also, if you look back at some of the signings in recent years under Pep, you know, when you think of Cancelo and Rodri, uh, Mares, yeah, yeah, they, they, that first season Bernardo. has been difficult. Yeah, so maybe next season he's still only twenty one. So next season is probably probably the big one. Uh, I just thought it was a shame what happened at Brighton that he didn't get his opportunity because another thing that uh, Andy Cole said was you know he he was looking at him and saying well in the Champions League final if you need a goal if City need a goal they're chasing it Torres is perhaps the first substitute substitute to come on uh, which I thought was you know with Sergio Aguero who's probably going to start on the bench is a bit would be a bit of a crazy decision really. You know, Aguero's obviously done it for ten years, but if he could have done, you know, if he could have gone into that Champions League final with a bit of momentum, 
then he, you know that I think, I think that's a kind of a realistic option. But as it is, he's got he's got that hat trick against Newcastle in a game which was kind of a bit throwaway, really, from City's point of view. You know, playing Scott Carson, playing Eric Garcia from the, from the start, it's like they didn't they weren't taking it completely seriously. A couple of days after winning the title, he got the hat trick. If he if he'd got another couple against Brighton. Maybe got half an hour against Everton. Suddenly that all changes. But perhaps his season is is maybe you know it's kind of ended already. Yeah, we'll, we'll I, have to I, wait and see. I, I mean, the, the interesting part of all of this, Jack, is uh, I mean, credit where it's due. I've got a I've got a shout out to MV on Twitter who uh, sent this in before the Newcastle game. Uh, do you think Torres could be converted into a number nine? I think his movement and finishing are very good. And then after the Newcastle game, Mike Cook got in touch to say, uh, should Torres be considered as the nine next season and Jesus as the winger? Personally, I think Jesus can play left, right and central, but Torres is much more clinical in front of goal. I think Torres could be a 20 goal a season striker, whereas Gabby will always be 10 to 12, whether he's central or wide. And it does, it does kind of like you look at, at Jesus's struggles this season and, and and the problems that he has sometimes being that clinical striker. Um, Torres has, has had much fewer opportunities this year and has, has found the net quite often. Yeah, but he's also had fewer opportunities in lesser games and in, in games that aren't deemed quite as important. Um, I think John, what John was saying about Torres was completely right in that he, he will just stand still and he'll wait for the ball to come in, to come to him. I think that is the sign of a very good striker and that's the sort of thing that Sterling had a year ago. That's what Sterling was doing. Um, I I think Jesus and Torres are slightly different in the sense that I think Jesus should be converted to a left winger uh, permanently because I think he's at we said before, haven't we, that he's, he's played some of his best games out there, particularly Real Madrid last season. I thought he was yeah. exceptional. Um, whereas Torres, I think you can just play, play Torres because he's like two, he's three or four years younger or whatever it is. I think you just play him wherever at the moment um, and wherever there's a hole that needs filling off the bench, then he just plays and it's all about kind of getting the games in him rather than pigeonholing him as a, as a nine. But he's quite a good option to have because whatever they do this summer... Clearly, they they want to sign a striker, um, and if they were to move Jesus wider, or maybe Jesus doesn't kind of remain at the club, then Torres has ample ability in the eighteen yard box to be able to cover any any shortfall in goals. Yeah, I mean the the, the thing is though, Jack. Obviously, the uh, the news over the uh, over the kind of last few days or so has been Harry Kane wanting to, to leave Spurs. Do you see City going for him and, and kind of keeping Torres as a winger sort of thing? Well, well, they're going to go for a big striker. Like Harlan was the first choice. Now, Dortmund have always said that Harlan's going nowhere. But, I mean, I said this to John loads of times on the phone over the last few weeks. It's like, Dortmund will say that Harlan's going nowhere until someone coughs up the money that they're willing to part with him. Um, so... It kind of depends on how how high any of the clubs that are interested in him, how high they want to go. Um, and the same the same can be said for for Kane. I just I don't know what I really don't know what good value is anymore um, yeah. because of the pandemic, but also because of the escalating prices across Europe um, pre pandemic. I just don't know how much a thirty thirty five goal a season striker is worth these days um, and I just I don't know maybe I'm being naive I just can't see 
a club. I can't see Man City paying 130 to 150 million pounds for 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 a striker, like particularly with Kane, like with the injuries. I just I, I'm struggling to see it. Yeah, John, are you uh, are you are you thinking that that this could all affect City's thinking for a new striker in the summer as well? Given, I mean, if Torres could play centrally a bit more next season, they could. They've done pretty well without a striker for most parts of this season. I, I think they'll bring in a striker in the summer, but I think one thing to point. Well, one thing that I would say is that you know it's not it's not like City play a left winger and a striker and a right winger for ninety minutes. You know, you can put. You can put Gabby Jesus at uh, centre forward for fifteen minutes. Swap him over with Sterling. Swap him over with Torres. You know, even even in the process of a, an attacking move, they will switch positions, and, it, and it's an advantage to have people like that who are so flexible that they can. You know, there was a couple of moments against Newcastle where Gabby was sort of picking the ball up out wide and, and dribbling past. Uh, fullbacks and midfielders cut, cutting inside like a, you know, like an Aryan Robin or something like that. So, you know, one one thing we've seen this season in the second half of the season is there's so much flexibility in this City squad at the moment. You know, you know, it's not like they've actually had a they've been playing with a false nine, but who is that false nine? One one moment it's Kevin De Bruyne, it's it's Bernardo Silva, it's Phil Foden, it's Mares, Sterling. They all do it. At, at, at one point during the game, they start there at the start of a game. So it's it's a it's an advantage for both of them that they have that flexibility. So I think you know that, that makes them you know a huge asset to, for Pep Guardiola. Yeah, um, let's let's touch on the reason why Torres was taken off though um, against Brighton, uh, Jack. Because um, uh, listening to Guardiola after the game, he didn't seem that impressed with uh, Stuart Atwell and John Moss, the VAR. Uh, what did you make of the performance? Well, Atwell's performance overall just uh, dire. Just no, just like nowhere near good enough. Um, and it's it's funny when like people complain about. VAR, it's almost like they're complaining about some electronic equipment. Well, actually, like the VAR itself is fine and a bit of being able to look over decisions. Like, I don't really like it. I'd prefer it just to be a completely like, just get rid of it. But I can understand why they use it. But they kind of still got the same idiots using it that yeah. are out in the field anyway. So. Like Moss in the Moss in Stotley Park, terrible. Atwell like struggles to control football matches. Uh, gives ghost goals. I know that was about fifteen years ago. It's <laughs> still happened though. Still happened. Well, yeah, I mean, it'll kind of it'll stay with him because it's just a ridiculous thing to do. I mean, look, you could go through loads of um, loads of incidents from the game and just say he's got them all got them all wrong but the red card especially though I mean the, the, the red card once he's given the foul against Cancelo he has to send him off and then the VAR has to the only way they can say that it's it's an obvious error is if it is is if he shouldn't have sent him off well he, he had to because he, he deemed it a foul but so then the question is is it a foul uh, I to be honest I, I I didn't have too much of a problem with it I thought he I thought he, he misjudged the ball over the top panicked and just side try to disguise fouling Welbeck. I know. I know most City fans didn't think that. So I you know I, I did tweet that out, and 
people pointed out to me that I, that I was wrong <laughs> on that one. Um, but I it's suppose just, it does sometimes. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I, you know, we don't want to turn this show into sort of moaning about VAR, but it, it, you know, I'm not really sure what it's there for. It, it doesn't seem to make any any. You know, you go back to the, the the penalty that John Moss didn't give against Phil Foden. You know, what what is what is VAR looking at there? Uh, there's just so many examples. You know, I mean, in the same night, that penalty. Chelsea versus Leicester. I mean, I don't know how you can miss these things just looking at the TV screen. And then it's also made worse when you're watching it on BT Sport when you get Peter Walton, who's basically, to be fair to him, he's doing only what the VAR are doing, what the VAR are officials are doing, which is completely fudging making a decision. Shilling for referees. You know, <laughs> well, when they go to VR, they say, right, let's go to Peter Walton for his view. And he just fudges it, doesn't say anything. Waits for VAR to make a decision. VAR generally agrees with the referee. Peter Walton then comes out and says, "Ah, oh, they've made the right decision." It's just, it's just the whole thing's just fudging it. No one's actually prepared to make any sort of forthright decisions. It just, it's just, it's just pointless. You know, the, you, you also go back to the, uh, the 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 last minute penalty against Jesus. You know, I at the time I thought it was a penalty, but I thought, oh. Well, okay, well, it's uh, obviously the, the referee's seen that he's got the ball or something like that. VAR then gets involved, and then they don't give it. Just w- what complete waste of everyone's time. Yeah, I mean the the, the thing, the the other incident, Jack, that uh, Guardiola was unhappy about was uh, the tackle on on Gundogan. Um, there are comparisons there with the one that John Stones was sent off for at Aston Villa, mm-hmm. where the VAR looked at that and said, well, no, it's it's excessive force. A red card is the is the correct decision. And then the VAR looks at this one and says, it's not excessive force. And so a well, yellow card Stones is the correct one, decision. The Stones one wasn't excessive force. It was, it was a defender caught out of position. He's just gone gone through everything, but it's not excessive force. It's just, that was wrong, in my view. Um, and then the gun... I mean, you look look at the still image of the Gundogan one. It looks terrible, doesn't it? Um, and could have done him some serious damage. Uh, and I get well. I guess Villa fans would would claim the same with the with the Stones tackle. It's just I, to be honest, David. I don't know what is a foul anymore. And, yeah. Uh, I don't know what offside is anymore. I don't know what handball is anymore. Um, so you're kind of at the mercy of these people in Stockley Park, just kind of. Feels like they're guessing, because um, there's no consistency, is there? There's, that's the that's the main thing. I mean, I think everyone can take bad decisions against their team. You know, like uh, if my team got a bad decision against them, uh, you're kind of annoyed about it. But there's that old thing where it evens itself out over a season, which I don't think it does. But everyone kind of lives by that rule. <laughs> but at the moment, it's just like you watch one thing happen for Villa. Uh, and they'll give it, and then something will happen for Tottenham, and they won't give it, and then Arsenal they they'll give it, and it's just just completely baffled by it, um, and I don't really know how they come back from it. To be honest, I think they've gone so far down the road with VAR that I just they can't do a Yui. Yeah. 
You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk Before we move on, I want to get this in from Barry Tiernan as well on Twitter, John. Uh, He asks, what's happened to Cancelo over the past few weeks? One bad game against Leeds seems to have destroyed his confidence. Um, And as you said, as, 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 as harsh as the red may have been, he could have dealt with that ball over the top a bit better. And he's looked a bit shaky in the last few weeks. Yeah, I thought he was good against Newcastle. I thought that was a bit bit more of the old Cancelo. Obviously, he scored. Yeah, I mean, he's had a fantastic season. I thought it's it's interesting. that I, I thought a couple of months ago, he was in with the shout of the Football of the Year. Um, and then when it came to voting, he, was, he wasn't even in the equation. So that kind of gives an example, you know, gives an example of how his form has sort of disappeared a little bit. But... You know, I still, you know, I, the game against, um, I think it was Borussia Dortmund. Well, it was in, it was in Hungary, so I can't remember whether it was the, <laughs> the first leg or the second leg. But he, you know, he was so good in that. In that, that's what he's, that's what he's capable of. You know, I, I, I don't think he's been that bad. A little, a little bit of lost form, a little bit of lost confidence. But I think if he gets the call against uh, Chelsea, which he may not do, I, I, I don't see it being a problem. Yeah, uh, someone else, uh, Jack, who may or may not get the call against Chelsea is uh, is Rodri because I mean the the Trossard goal at the end of the Brighton game did that did that show why he might why, why Guardiola might turn to Fernandinho for the final? I thought his reaction when he gave the ball away was awful. I don't know if you've seen it back from behind the goal. He stands, he puts his hands on his head and stands well, still. He just doesn't like shakes his head. Oh my god, what have I done? And doesn't like kind of. I know he's never going to get back into the box to affect the game, but you got to make it look like you're trying. It's really strange, his reaction. Um, but it's, it's interesting, actually, because before, uh, before that game, the guy, a colleague that was covering it for us that was at the match, texted me and said, oh, how many of these players are playing for um, playing for position, jockeying for positions for the Champions League final? So I was like, well, it's Inchenko or Cancelo, you would have thought. Um, and that was pretty much it. And then I'd forgotten about Rodri completely. And you, you probably... On current form, you probably play Fernandinho in a one-off game, I think. He's been so good um, when he's been called upon in the biggest games that I just can't envisage him not playing. Um, for what he get, you know, what he gives him, uh, obviously in midfield and kind of breaking up the game and like we'll all laugh about the fact that it, it barely ever gets, well, it doesn't get the bookings that he deserves maybe. <laughs> um, but it's just the leadership and the I think if you go into a game, uh, a Champions League final like that, and you've you've got Diaz at the back, and you've got Fernandinho through the spine, and you've got De Bruyne further up the field, and you've got three leaders that are all joined up there that can kind of coach the others through difficult moments. Um, and I think I think that that will be my reasoning for playing Fernandinho in that game. 
Yeah, John. The the other the other name for that Champions League final for the big moments again um, could quite could well quite well be Phil Foden, couldn't it? Uh, you look at that that goal against Brighton. He looked up, had nothing in the middle, so thought, sorry, I'll stick it in the bottom corner. <laughs> yeah, it's just brilliant, wasn't it? Absolutely amazing. Um, just just the I think it kind of suited him with that particular goal that it was, they were down to ten men and he just didn't really have a lot of options. He was a little bit isolated and just thought. Oh, well, let's just go for it. Let's just run, and they just couldn't stop him. Um, and a clever finish. Um, oh, I think he's a must starter against Chelsea. I mean, it's just, um, he just he just frightens everybody. He's, he, Chelsea will be terrified of him. So he, yeah, he has to start the Champions League final. Yeah, Jack. Is uh, the, the thing with Foden has been that this season he's really grown into that front three, and you know you can't argue that he deserves his place there, can you? Yeah, well, no, you can't. No, he's, he'd be one of the top three names on the team sheet for me. Um, I think this season it's been about him taking responsibility a little bit more and he seems to have uh, kind of grown into the squad a little bit and he's able to like moan at others when they don't give him the ball uh, and kind of, you know, if, he, if if someone's got two options for a final pass and they don't pick him and he's obviously the best option, he'll tell them. Whereas this time last year, he wouldn't tell them. Um, so he's got a bit more personality to his game now and he's got a bit more of an edge um, which I think has probably been spotted by the manager that he's able to stand up to stand up to his teammates and the sort of people that for years and years he's watched um, and he's he's adored as a, as a fan and now he kind of can hold his own amongst them um, and he's obviously just got his ability is absolutely insane like people talk about generational talents and all that sort of stuff there is there can only be one generational talent and in England it's Phil Foden there is absolutely no doubt about it Um, he's the best young player that England have produced for a long long time Um, and unlike some of the others he scores his his goals and assists are right up there Um, whereas others kind of they look quite nice and they, they do bits and bobs in games, but Foden just actually gets on with it and, and can he's the sort of player that could, could win England and City any game he wanted. Yeah. Well, uh obviously the Euro's coming up as well, so it could be could quite well be a big summer for him. Um let's let's look ahead to the Everton game on Sunday. Um we had an email in from uh, Steve O'Brien who says, I'll be honest with you, I don't like it when City play on either Friday or Saturday evening. After a hard week of work, this should be the time to relax, and relaxing through City matches is not something I generally tend to do. This week I could finally tune in on Friday to a game that didn't matter, one I could simply sit back and enjoy like never before from this position. Then when seeing Pep's starting lineup, it seemed to matter even less. I mean, even last time we ran away with the league, there was a sole focus of 100 points and no other competitions to think about, except that the longer the match went on and with each goal that was scored, I became increasingly aware that it did still matter to me that we win. Did you feel the same or not? I've thought about it since and I think I just want to win the league by the largest gap we can fashion. So with that in mind, John, this is in theory a dead rubber, um, but there's a trophy presentation to come on, uh, uh, you know, at the Etihad, there's 10,000 fans are going to be there. It feels like maybe a little bit more than a dead rubber, does it? Oh, definitely. I'm looking forward to this one on Sunday. Um, I mean, I've you know, obviously been very lucky to get to all the games at the Etihad this season. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's just not the same. So I was, I was at the Carabao Cup final and the fans made a, a massive difference for that 
So, and, and also at Brighton, I thought, you know, the atmosphere came across on the, t- across on the TV and perhaps maybe influenced the referee a little bit with some of his decisions. So for, for, for that point of view alone, um, yeah, absolutely one of the games I've been looking forward to more than any other. Um, trophy presentation, of course, is going to be special. Sergio Aguero's last game is going to be, you know, kind of getting getting used to these, but then not getting used to these. Legends leaving all the time. Pablo, uh, Vincent, and uh, there's, there's, been there's been one every year at the end yeah. of, of each of uh, Guardiola's seasons. It's it's not the easiest thing to do, is it? <laughs> no, and, and, and David's last game was, you know, not what he deserved to just walk off. The, I mean... In, perhaps in some ways it suited him because that's that's the kind of player he was. He was quite happy to not take any of the limelight, but he deserved better than that to walk off in an empty, empty stadium, just clapping the substitutes and you know a couple of you know a couple of officials and things like that. So it will it'd be great that Sergio gets some sort of a farewell. You know he also deserves a sixty thousand capacity uh, crowd there to say farewell. But um, and then, and then last of all, you know the, this is an important build-up game for the Champions League. So the last game before the Champions League, okay, they they, they relaxed against Newcastle, um, took, took the foot off the gas. Brighton didn't go. You know it wasn't the preparation game that they needed. Although you know they obviously had to work hard and it was a bit of a test in the end. And but this is the one where you know Everton are a decent side. You know they're not that far away from Chelsea. Chelsea obviously a lot better, but you know still a good team. This is an opportunity to get everyone focused, hone everything, get the tactics right, and really start the countdown now for the Champions League final. Yeah, Jack, what sort of team are you expecting? Is it going to be a bit of a mix of of the team that will play in the final and a few, you know, just to rest the legs, or is there, is there going to be anybody playing for the place? I mean, like that sort of thing. Uh. I don't think there'll be any playing for places, will there? As I said before, I think Zinchenko or Cancelo is probably the biggest, uh, the biggest decision he's got to make. Um, I I don't know. I, I think he'll play pretty as close to full strength as he as he can do. Um, I would have thought purely because you've got you know the six days before Chelsea. Um, he always talks about like rhythms. One of his favourite words. He always talks about rhythm. So if you you know if you take him by his word there, you'd say, well, play a really strong team on Sunday, win the game, give Aguero a good send off, lift the trophy, and then they're kind of they're ready for they're ready for Saturday. Yeah. I just it, I don't know. I think if he makes loads and loads of changes and plays, um, not the B team, but plays those that are not not in the probably not in the best eleven. Just has the potential to feel a little bit disjointed. I can't, I, and yeah, I kind of feel like that this is the one week you don't want a disjointed game, isn't it? No, I think they just want to go in like with a clean, go into Chelsea just with a clean win behind them. Played well, scored some goals, um, defended well. I think they need to defend well on Sunday because um, you can quickly get out of the habit of defending well as a team. Um, and obviously, they conceded three goals in the last two games. Yeah, just uh, just treat it as treat it as like game. I don't know, game ten in the Premier League, and one that you 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 need to win. 
um, is probably the best way to to look at it because you can you can get distracted by by things. Um, and they, as John said, they had the they had the few days where they celebrated the win before the Newcastle game and kind of like turned up at Newcastle all like joking around and uh, it was all a bit of a laugh at, at Newcastle, which. Uh, you don't want to sound disrespectful, but that was mirrored in the team selection, uh, particularly with the goalkeeper. Um, and now it's time to kind of for them to get serious again. Um, and yeah, if they, if they if they win on Sunday, uh, they go into Chelsea in the right frame of mind. Yeah, I mean this is the, the the sad thing. I think John is we're talking about Torres at the start of the show, and I feel like had Torres had. Uh, you know, a good game against uh, against Brighton, and then gets named in the starting lineup against Everton, and, and has another good game. He's one that could have played his way in at the last gasp to the final. Um, but now, with the with the way it kind of panned for him at, at Brighton having to be taken off, and uh, the interesting thing about that Brighton selection was it looked like the Champions League final eleven with Torres in it instead, and that's it. Do you, do you see what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, to be honest, I think it would have taken. A lot for Torres to have forced his way into the starting eleven for the Champions League final. You, you, I think he needed a couple of a couple of goals against Brighton and another couple against Everton to even be considered. I mean, and not that Pep isn't beyond throwing a you know an absolute shocker in there and well, not a shocker, but you know what I mean, a, curve a, a surprise, ball, yeah, yeah curveball that we don't just don't see coming. Uh, you know, he said. Plenty of times already in the build-up to this game, he doesn't know what his starting eleven is. Uh, whereas I think, you know, I think we, us three now, could sit there and and we, if we were to pick what we thought the starting eleven was, I think we'd probably all come up with the same same names. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, obviously Kev's had a slight niggle, so maybe he comes in against Everton and and. You know, I, I, I just don't see. I don't think it will be his eleven that plays against uh, Everton, but I think the I think the eleven that start against Chelsea is the eleven that we all. I hope, I expect, I hope you I think the same yeah. way as me. Anyway, yeah, I, that, that's that's the other question I had. Jack was obviously Gundogan had uh, had to go off against Brighton. Uh, De Bruyne has been carrying a, a little bit of an injury. Not nothing too bad we've we've been told so far uh do we know anything about their their fitness ahead of this game are they likely to be involved at all just to kind of get some minutes in the legs no i've been off this week uh, oh fair <laughs> enough <laughs> uh, like probably you'd probably think de bruyne come off the bench half an hour maybe 45 minutes or maybe start and then withdraw him early um just to get that kind of rhythm you'd have thought so yeah, I just, does he does he play Jesus again? Does he bring Jesus back in for Sunday? Uh, but he, I, yeah, you'd presume that both could, De Bruyne and Gundogan wouldn't wouldn't start, um, and Gundogan might. Uh, he's played quite a lot recently, and he so he, probably he'd be all right to have the weekend off and. Yeah. But yeah, De Bruyne is quite important. If he's fit enough to play Sunday, which I'm sure he is, then it's important to um, to get some minutes in him. 
Well, an absolutely bonkers week of games means we got no wins on last week's show. We now only have two chances to better the best ever total on the charity bet. We're currently on £1,185 for this season, and that's £165 short of our total from 2017, the end of Guardiola's first season. Uh, One game to predict on this week's show, Everton at home, and all the money is going to the Christie, a cancer treatment hospital in Manchester. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single. Um... John, I said bring the crazy for this one because they've been uh, a little bit unpredictable, the games recently. What have, you, what have you gone for? Oh, sorry, I've gone a bit boring. I've gone 3-0. <laughs> well, uh, if it comes off, it's not boring if it comes off, mate. So uh, 3-0 is 17-2 uh, to two and £85. Pounds. Jack, what are you having? Uh, even more boring, 2-1. Uh, two one is uh, seven to one and seventy pounds if you're right. Uh, I decided to to kind of push the boat out a bit and go four two, uh, which if I'm right is thirty five to one and three hundred and fifty pounds. Uh, you've got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. Please gamble responsibly. You can find out more by going to begambleaware.org. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Now, this season hasn't been like any ordinary season, and that might make City's achievement of winning the title in strange circumstances all the better. I've been speaking to the Times journalist Paul Hurst to look at the key moments of where this title was won. You look at him now, and like you say, he's, he's a bit kind of... He's, he's very relaxed and very... Um, you know, calm now, isn't he? And I, I just think that's partly because he's had he's had five years, A, in this city and B, with this team. I think if you look at the squad, you know, most of that squad has been there for the entirety of his, his five years, I'd say. You know, people like Gundogan, Sterling, De Bruyne, um, etc. They're, kind of, they're a bit more kind of, of a settled unit um, and they have been for the last five years. So I think that's that's contributed to his um, his calmness. I think his relationship with Caldu and his is better than ever so that's helped him become a lot uh, a lot more kind of relaxed and and zen like really so i i think those those are the main reasons why he's a lot more settled this year than he than he has been in the past yeah, I mean, you you look as uh, as well when when he's talking about the the title celebrations uh, from Tuesday. I mean, this is what he said about just. I mean, just even about how things were behind the scenes. It's it feels so much more relaxed, as you say. We drink a little bit, we dance, we hack a lot. We remember how good it was, and especially at eleven thirty twelve, arrived ten fifteen pizzas, and that was the best moment of the night. Here in England, the party is always just alcohol. It's not food. I don't understand why. So. And the moment Mark decided to bring the pizzas was perfect. I, I mean, when you listen to him talk like that, it just it feels so much more relaxed, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. This is I, I love that line about the pizzas and the, the English parties being all, all about boozing, basically. Um, it's it must have been a nightmare for Pep Guardiola, you know, a guy who brings in a, a world-renowned nutritionist to, to kind of change their diets, um, the players' diets five years ago, and then end up having pizza and. And, and beer, you know, it's, it's certainly kind of a, a change um, from the norm for him, um, that's for sure. But I, th- I think he's, um, you know, I think that's, you know, it, they are, you know, they were entitled to kind of celebrate, weren't they? And you know, they, they looks, it sounds like they had a, a quite a good knees up. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, just looking on the pitch, I mean, things got got off to a slow start this season. Um, was that simply because of of how last how how close to the end of last season it had been, and and kind of how little preparation time they'd had? Do you think? Yeah, I think that was a, a massive factor. I, I spoke to one uh, one source who was close to one of the 
the senior players at City, and he was saying that that he came back when they came back it was only like a few weeks after that Champions League defeat to, to Leon, and that was still in his mind you know they couldn't really get away and go on a proper holiday they didn't have a proper pre-season I think if you look at those pre-season tours um, I, th- I think they're always quite a good uh, way of you know obviously signifying the start of a new season and making a clean break from the previous season whereas City didn't have one this year obviously because there was such a tight turnaround and because of the COVID restrictions on uh, on travelling, so they couldn't go away. They couldn't have a, a proper pre-season and and think about what was you know get get last year out of their system. Basically, they just didn't have have time to do that. So that was a, that was a bit of a hangover going into the start of the season. That was why why they started off um, so poorly. Um, or they're they inconsistent at the start, weren't they? Because I remember watching that first half of the. Uh, the Wolves match and thinking, crikey, this is you know an exceptional performance. But then in the second half, they were just they were just knackered. You could tell straight away they were just weren't match fit. So it was a lack of in, a lack of consistency at the start of the season that um, that, that cost them. You, know, you you would never expect them to draw a game against West Brom, would you? But um, uh, now you know, so that's it. Shows you how how kind of. Um, what kind of a difference this city team is now compared to how they were at the start of the season? Yeah, I mean, even the the the, the big kind of turning point really early in the season that a lot of people put down to is the signing of uh, Ruben Diaz. He's been fantastic throughout the, this year. How has how has his relationship with Stones helped John Stones develop as well? Because their partnership has been the one that's that's basically seen City to all those wins. Yeah, I, I think the Stones and Diaz partnership. Um, extends beyond the pitch that they are friends off it and I remember seeing like a, a video a YouTube video that City put out I think it was sometime in the autumn of, of those two talking and like sharing jokes and stuff and sometimes football clubs when they put things like that out videos out like that out you think oh it's just a bit of a, a publicity stunt they don't actually you know get on as well as they do but but they do those two are really really close Um and for for Diaz to have had such, to 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 build such a relationship with Stones in such a short space of time is is, is pretty remarkable, really. That I, I voted for for Diaz um, for Player of the Year just because he's he's given City something that they've not had for a couple of years, or since obviously since Vincent Company left, and because he's so good at defending, because they've got such a good he's got such a good partnership with Stones. Then you, that gives Gundogan more confidence to get forward. It gives Fordham more confidence to get forward as well. So it's all interlinked, really. A stronger defence um, gives you know gives confidence to the attackers. So I think his his impact has just been uh, it's been monumental, really. Yeah, and you know, I feel a little bit for for Phil Foden in a weird way because uh, I mean he's had a, he's had an exceptional season, but he's he's kind of gone under the radar a little bit in in all the talk of how you know Stones has improved, how Diaz has come in, even Mares has uh, you know he's getting the plaudits, Gundogan as well, like you say. Um, there was a there was a nice little anecdote in your piece uh, on the season about how Guardiola had managed Phil Foden with the Iceland incident, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, he. Foden is is such a is is a huge England fan, you know. First and foremost, he he'd always watch uh, England games when he was what was I say when he was a lad. He's still a lad now, but you know when he was uh, even younger. Um, so when he got that call up, uh, first call up to the England squad, and he looked like he was well, and when he was selected for the Iceland match, he was such a 
a big thing for him. You know, he took a picture of his England shirt and he sent it to like his friends and family on the morning of the Iceland game because um, he was so proud of that, um, the fact that he was going to represent his country. And then obviously it went downhill pretty fast from from there, uh, from after the match with what happened with him in Greenwood. Um, and he was kind of overwhelmed by the, the media reaction to it. Um, so it was a really kind of, it, it hit him quite hard, but Pep, rather than, you know, rather than hammering him in public, I think he he probably knows that things like this do go on, you know, now and again in, in football. So rather than hammering him, he just put his arm around him and said, look, you know, it'll it'll be all right. You'll be fine. We'll get through this. And that that bit of advice, that bit of, you know, that arm around the shoulder meant a lot to, to Foden from what I've been told. So he's, and he properly knuckled down after that. And like you say, his, his season's just been... Uh, Incredible, really. Sixteen goals, I think it is. He scored, um, so it's it's something that that he wouldn't have expected to do at the start of the season after after the start he had. So it's a credit to to, to Fordham for getting through with that and and to Pep for his for his management, really. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the the West Brom draw earlier on. Uh, that that was the point at which Guardiola quite quite famously said that he didn't recognise his team. Um, this is what he said about it recently. We had a lot of COVID players, a lot of injured players, and we adjust the way we played more than the idea or the patterns what we had to play for the quality of the players that we were able to play. And you have to adjust some situations in the way we are playing that make me feel a little bit okay. We win games uh, sometimes, we draw. But I didn't recognize. So normally, when I was in Barcelona by Munich, you could play good or bad or win games or lose games. But the patterns was there always was clear the way we want to play. In that moment, I didn't know. I, I didn't recognize the team for the fact don't represent what I want. And after we reflect, I said, okay, come back the A after B and after C, but start with the A. And A means something what we have done all the time and. It didn't work quite well in Southampton that we won because because we won, but we didn't play so good. But after that, we continue to to play better and better, winning games, winning games, and help us to get good mood, good confidence, and the rest came came from himself. What what do you make of what he changed after that game, Paul? Because it was it was a it was a performance where I, I watched it and thought City could play and play and play all night and they were just never going to get a shot away on target. And then suddenly, you know, you know, three months later, they've put a 23-24 game winning streak together. Yeah, it was. I agree with with you that that year at that time in the season. I, I think I think even worse than that was the nil nil draw at Old Trafford. You know, it was a really defensive sort of negative uh, team performance at Old Trafford, and it's just, you know that is just not what you expect to see from from City at all. So the the nil nil draw at Old Trafford, the one one draw at West Brom were just the most uncharacteristic City Pep Guardiola performances that I've, that I've ever seen. Um, and I think he just he, they just went back to basics after that, didn't they? They they stopped. I think they you know because he's such a you know, a demanding manager. I think the players probably want to, you know, impress him and try to do extra, you know, special things. When you know, City are, City are at their best when they just, when they keep the ball. You know, that's that is the main thing. If you if City got the ball, you're going to struggle to to get it off them, aren't you? Basically, because they're so good at, at passing. So I think they just went back to basics. Passed, um, you know, made made fewer runs. Just became a bit more economical with the ball and. It's just as simple as that, really. You know, just stop making ridiculous runs that, 
you know that they're not going to be picked out you just 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 keep it simple really and and that is that was the root of the the um the upturn in form uh, that came just after that yeah and that that was the time as well we were we were all wondering you know that that was the start of december that west brom draw you know guardiola had signed his contract extension a month earlier and i mean even at the time i w- i remember talking to city fans saying well he keeps saying that he he has to prove himself and deserve his new contracts well I'm not seeing anything of uh, that that suggests that that he does deserve his new contract at the moment that that he has proved that he's that he's capable of changing things um and then obviously it, uh, it, it they go on that winning run and, and now it looks like one of the best decisions that they've made uh, this is this is what he said about uh, about whether that contract gave uh, stability to the team when everybody knows the manager will be the next one or two or three years that makes <laughs> certain stability saying that the contracts of the manager are so volatile because if you don't win, you, you'll be sacked. Listen, the players trust you, especially if you win. If you don't win, even you are one month, three years, five years, they see weakness of what you have done. Even what we have done so far in the recent past, we won a lot. If you start to lose, they start to believe or they start to doubt about you. So, Paul, did, did that contract extension actually help the turnaround in form, do you think? Yeah, I think I, I think that was the biggest turning point of the season. Pep signing his new contract. You, you, you spoke to people for this, for this piece that that Paul and I wrote, and it was, um, and they were they were saying that people were openly talking at CFA about who would replace Pep at the end of the season. You know that that was the, and that's only natural. You know, football clubs are, you know, they they, they yearn for stability and kind of so if. if and, and if the, if Guardiola isn't going to be there at the end of the season, they want to know who's going to who's going to replace him. So I think that that um, that contract extension was was huge for the players. Just gave them a bit of clarity. You know who's going to be here next season. Who's going to? It also gave the club you know stability in terms of who they're going to who they're going to sign because at the moment Pep Guardiola is a huge carrot for any player you know for it's good reason to come to city um obviously the they pay quite well and you know the success is there for everyone to see over the last few years but if if you don't know who's going to be a manager it's it's pretty hard to sell isn't it you might not you might not get on with that manager that's coming in you might not like their style or whatever so i think that that helps give the give the club a kind of stability across the board not just in the squad but in uh you know, in in the in the rest of the the club as well, in terms of transfer targets and kind of what comes next. So, yeah, I think that was it was a huge sort of relief for the club, I guess, to, to for for get for Pep to sign a new deal. Yeah, and I mean, you, you mentioned before his his relationship with Caldoun. Um, he was asked about that recently as well. Um, this this is what he said. I travelled to see him in November, and he convinced me that still we have a lot of work to do. And I said, the way he said to me, I said, okay, we're going to try it again in the next years. And part of the reason why the my happiness here or success we had is but his determination to convince me to say, we still have to do it. That is the big difference. What I found, what well, I had the feeling in sometimes in other clubs and other, I would not say because I've always been supportive in Barcelona in, uh, in Bayern Munich, but I had the feeling that the manager always been supportive when you have success. And I cannot forget now my first season, first season here, where I didn't win anything, the behavior of my chairman. And I cannot forget the big disappointment personally against Lyon, 
the support I had from my chairman. I saw uh, he trusts me. I cannot assure him that success. I cannot assure anyone how it's going on. No one can assure it. I saw in his eyes. I saw in the way in our dinners together with the families and everyone. I saw he, I trust you, Pep. And it doesn't matter how you have to do it. And that's why we decided there, okay, we're going to stay longer. Now, was it was it that um, Calduna travelled especially to see Pep in the Maldives, or they gone together? Was it uh, to to discuss the contract sort of thing? They both, they both. Well, Pep certainly needed a holiday at that time. I think you know he was he's getting it towards his kind of wit's end, really. But but the the Calduna travelled there to to talk business with him, and I think they they both knew that business was on the agenda um, and. Uh, you know, as as Pep said, there they had a kind of a, a good heart to heart, really. And I think that wasn't the only time this season where he's had a heart to heart with him. He spoke to him after the after the West Brom game, um, and I think later in the season as well. So, you know, that was you know, but that that meeting in the Maldives was the kind of crucial. That was the, the t- when Guardiola said, "Yeah, I'm, I will stay." and you know their their relationship now is more solid than it's ever been. Um, when Pep came here, he he came for Cheeky and Ferran because he obviously knew them from before. He, I think there was always a bit of kind of you know curiosity on Guardiola's part about how to how he would um, how his relationship with Caldoun would be because he'd you know never he never he didn't really know him from before. He'd obviously met him before he he, he signed the contract, but. He was curious to see how it would go, and their relationship is um, has been kind of one of the. It's, it's been the kind of cornerstone of his success at, at City. That that Caldoun has supported him, like Pep said after that first season, didn't win anything. Asked him what he needed, went out and bought the fullbacks that they needed, um, and gave him support. And I always remember um, it was uh, I think it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, it was the 2019 when City played Schalke. Um, I remember being down in the mix zone after the uh, after the first leg when City had won three two and just seen Caldoun come out of nowhere and give Pep a massive bear hug. It was <laughs> it was just like you know he, he was so happy and delighted for him that they'd that they'd won and that to me shows that they do have like a a really good personal relationship. It's not just professional; they are they are friends off the pitch as well. Yeah, I mean the the other the other interesting aspect is um, Guardiola was talking recently about uh, his backroom staff, and he uh, and you know he was saying the the support he gets from from Caldoun and and um, uh, and above him is also the same sort of support he tries he also gets from his his coaching staff and and the people that help him. Uh, this is what I, I asked him about Juan Mar Leo recently, and this is what he said uh, about the impact that Leo had had to, to to the season. Juan is a friend from a long time ago. I went to Mexico to be trained with them, with him. I learned a lot being there as a, his football player. He sees something like I'm not able to see. He's an incredible optimistic, incredible. Always has ability, have two things. One is this one, optimistic. And the second one, never ever speak bad for another person, never. Normally in these groups, always the people when they start to lose games or not going well, always to make to find excuses to speak bad to the other one. Juanma is completely the opposite. Always see the positive things of the human being. Always see the positive skills for the player. Always sees, you know, in the bad moments, always have the tendency to find how good is going to come in the next weeks, in the next month. 
Normally the manager will have a lot of pressure, all the managers knows it, for the media, for the decision, the players who play, the training, what do you have to do? And have this balance with Juanma helped me a lot, a lot. Personally, he has to say the right words in the right tempo to me, of course to the to the to the players sometimes what what we need. No, I, I like the line in your piece that uh, that that basically said that Leo was able to say to to, to Pep sometimes, you know, maybe you're not right about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine being that guy, eh? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's they are a really good combination um, because a there's the respect there, um, and b he's, he's they are they've got kind of different personalities that kind of match each other quite well. You know, they, Lilo, you can tell, is a calm guy. Whenever I see him on the bench, he's not um, he's not all over the place. He's not shouting and bawling. You know, sometimes assistants, I think they get a bit carried away, you know, when they're on the, on the touchline and kind of get, you know, start shouting and bawling at people and try and get involved. Whereas you see him, he just sits there and kind of waits for, let's Pep, you know, go on the touchline and, you know, um, do what he does on the touchline, if he's animated or not. And he just sits there and observes... And he's a he's, he's a really tactical kind of deep thinker, and um, uh, and you can tell that they work really well together. I mean that that tale about Guardiola um, going to play for him in Mexico for Dorados de Sinaloa just shows you how much um, respect Pep had for him, and how much he kind of admired the way that he thinks about football and the tactical innovations that he that um, Lilo makes. I mean, Pep went out there. He was, you know, towards the end of his career, last club that he played for. Um, I, I don't think his body wasn't up for it, but he, he went to Mexico to to Sinaloa, which is, you know, it's hardly a kind of uh, tranquil place. You know, it's associated with with a uh, you know with narco traffickers and etc. So he went out there, barely picked up a wage. I think there were moments where he didn't, you know, we actually didn't get any money, um, and you know, paid. You know, I think he paid a, a few kind of fellow players a bit of money as well Pep and the only reason that he went over there was to learn from Lilo yeah you know in this crummy three-star hotel which you know he's not his you know idea of you know what he's probably used to but he just wanted to learn from Lilo and I think you know that's that's why he has so much respect for him now yeah, the, the the stories are as well that the players really like him as well, and that's that that's been one of the kind of unifying factors of the season. Support for the Blue Moon podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer 20% off and free shipping worldwide with the code BLUEMOON at manscaped.com. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed and optimised trimmer that makes shaving time your favourite time in the bathroom. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce accidents, helped by their advanced skin safe technology. The upgraded trimmer also includes a multifunction on off switch that can engage a travel lock. It also gives you the ability to turn the 400k LED spotlight on and off when needed for a precision shave. 
The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customise your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 to 4. The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction which can help the battery last even longer, so it's time to get your own ball hair and body trimmer with Manscaped to make me time the best time and enhance your confidence. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BLUEMOON at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping to anywhere in the world at manscaped.com with the code BLUEMOON. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. I mean, one of the other factors is, is I guess, uh, the fact that Fernandinho's captain this season um, because he's he's had a huge effect off the pitch, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I, from talking to people at the club, they they sort of recognised that Fernandinho was absolutely, you know, he's really really proud to get that captaincy when he was voted for uh, by the rest of the squad at the start of the season. I mean, I personally, I, I remember at the time thinking, oh, De Bruyne is probably going to get this. You know what I mean? But um, but they voted for Fernandinho, and he was absolutely, um, you know, gobsmacked really and happy that he'd that he, he got the vote, and he's taken it the responsibility very seriously indeed. And I think he's he's you know a popular member of the squad, um, and he's also very popular amongst the kind of senior players, the other senior players, because he involves the rest of the leadership group. In the decisions that that um, that he makes, so De Bruyne, Gundogan, Sterling, and Walker—they're the guys who make up the senior leadership group, and he involves them in everything that he he does. You know, all the decisions he makes and etc. So he's a very good kind of delegate, I think. He, in terms of you know help asking other people to help him out, he doesn't take everything on himself, and. Um, He's he's really helped. Um, if you look at people like Zinchenko, he's been he's been really um, helpful towards him as well because he speaks he speaks Russian after his time in Shakhtar, obviously. So uh, I think he recently called him like his his dad in Manchester. <laughs> so it's, kind of, it's um, so he's he's had a he's had a huge impact. And you know when company left, they they really needed someone else to step up and. I thought actually last season he he did a decent job playing at centre half. I know other people uh, thought otherwise, but I thought he was one of City's better defensive performers. But you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he played him in the Champions League final after after his performance against uh, against PSG. He's, he's still got that knack of committing those fouls and you know just breaking breaking up attacks and and um, putting his head in uh, where he knows it'll get hurt. So. He has been. He's been a really good appointment as captain, definitely. Yeah. Uh, one final thing, Paul is. Uh, I just want to to play this from Guardiola on 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 basically how he keeps motivating the team um, when when it's when it's won nearly everything time and again. How he how he keeps getting the best out of them. It's so addictive to win. Win is so nice. You sleep better. You eat better. You laugh more. Everything is better. Why should it stop when we still we can do it? Why should not try to win again when still we can do it? Why should not improve our game plan or our game when we can do it because from outside got the results but on the pitch today I see the training I see things I still I don't like and that makes you do it when you had the feeling that it's enough that uh, the pleasure to win another Premier League don't make you feel something special and after is the moment to say bye-bye so I mean, when you, when you hear him talk like that, um, like what what can possibly come next? I know the Champions League is still to play this season, um, but but what could he achieve with with this side in the next couple of years? I, I think it's 
it's strange saying this now because they they're obviously been played so well this season, but I still think they're they're sort of playing in third gear at the moment. I, I think if if they signed a, a world class left back and if they signed a, a world class centre forward, then they would be you know they could get up to kind of like world domination kind of uh, level where you know you win Champions Leagues year after year um, and win the Premier League and retain it every year. I think that is that is what excites him. That that's what excites you know the fans. I guess that you could they could go on and kind of dominate because if you look at the other clubs at the moment, they're all kind of in in different stages of transition. You know, United still aren't the finished product, and Solskjaer's got quite a lot of players from previous regimes who don't fit in with his kind of style of play. You've got Tuchel's only a few months into his his reign, and you know Liverpool certainly need a. A, a bit of a churn in terms of their personnel. So, City are the most solid, uh, you know, team at the moment with with the kind of best foundations uh, of all the kind of top four or five teams. So, it's it's not beyond them if they if they spend well this summer to to really kind of set, um, assert their dominance over the over Europe and um, and and uh, the Premier League over the next few years and you know like like he says he's addicted to winning isn't he he's, he would he won't be kind of settled on on the fact that they've won the Premier League and the Carabao Cup this year he wants to win the Champions League and next year he want to win it again so as long as he's got that um fire inside him i just think he will carry he'll want to carry on winning um you know in, in such a relentless fashion over the next few years yeah, I know. I mean, the, the the final question, Paul. I know this is um, the, 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 it's only a couple of uh, well, it's only a few months ago that he signed his contract extension, uh, but he's never going to get it better than anywhere else at City. We've seen the support that he has from Caldoun and 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 the hierarchy at City. Um, is there a chance that this is that, that, that we're talking dynasty territory here, where where he can go on and, and just continue and continue at City until he's had enough? I th- it's yeah, it's, it's kind of difficult one to answer it without kind of um, delving into his mind. But I, th- I think the main thing is that he's he's very happy in Manchester. He's happy with how with his relationship with the the board, as as we've spoken about before, um, and the fact that there's not there's no meddling in what he does at City. You know what what Pep says goes basically. It's not like Barcelona where you've got presidential elections and Bayern Munich where you've got. You know, legends kind of chipping in in the media, saying this, that, and the other about um, about his his management style or whatever. He's he's very happy with the setup here, and he's very um, very settled. I think the the biggest factor will be whether the players get tired of him. I know that's um, uh, that might seem a bit strange, given that they enjoy success clearly and, and want to win every every trophy going. But I always remember an interview with Kyle Walker a couple of years ago where he was asked to sum up what it what it's like being a player under Pep Guardiola in one word and he said intense. <laughs> so, you know, if 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 that kind of carries on for the next few years and, and the players, you know, maybe kind of uh, get a bit tired of him, that's 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 what Pep will be on the lookout for. But I I, I certainly don't see that coming at the moment. You know, the the bounce after the new contract says Prove that you know that they that they're still very much with him and, and enjoy um, playing under him. So I think that'll be something that Pep will be uh, looking out for. But I, I think for for now, I think he's he's certainly definitely going to see out the final two years of his contract. And you know who knows what might come after that. <laughs> 
for a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. That was Paul Hurst talking to me about the key moments of this season. Uh, time to finish with Ask the Panel. Get the questions in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast or through the website bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, Robert Breen is first up on the emails. Uh, he says, How is it fair that City fans are expected to pay over £500 for tickets to the Champions League final when there's been no certainty over where it was going to be played for so long? We've known the finalists for weeks, we've known the situation in Turkey for longer and the prices were only released on Wednesday how do you wafer have the balls to say that football is for the fans Jack what's uh, what do you make of that um, oh, that's just how much category one tickets cost isn't it at UEFA finals which is an absolute joke it's a complete joke um, and the problem with that is that it, yeah there will be some people that have the disposable income to be able to afford it which is which is great but there are other people that will feel desperate to go, quite rightly, because they want to go and watch the club in a final, but then see the other categories all sell out and then overstretch themselves because they're so desperate to go, which is just so unfair. Um, I mean, no one should... No supporter, no normal supporter that isn't faffing about in corporate boxes or whatever should have to pay £500 to go and watch a, a football game. Yeah. Just like, it's just... It doesn't even need anyone. Doesn't need me or anyone else to say that. It's just a nonsense. But unfortunately, that's that's how much it costs, and that's how much it costs for a long time to get in the category one seats, which I presume are just like I don't know on the halfway line, are they in the first tier? Um, I just uh, what can you what can you say? That's what that's what football is now. The location of the final has been an absolute joke as well. I mean, you go back to before the the PSG second leg. Everyone knew the situation in Turkey. They knew that COVID was rising and there was a potential for an All-England final. Why they weren't talking about moving this game to the UK? You know, you know, it's not obviously it's a European final. You want to try and have it a European destination. But, you know, for God's sake, it's the middle of a COVID pandemic. It's not a normal year, like is it? That's the point, yeah. But we just don't want thousands of people going all over, the, all over Europe. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And then the length of time to sort it out was just crazy. Just get it, just get it moved to Cardiff or Wembley or, or Glasgow or whatever. Just ludicrous. I, you know, I, I appreciate it. It feels, you know, it would, it would have been better if it had been a European opposition in the final and a European city for the final, which, which it still is. Uh, but it just, it just, in this time, you know, we've all had this ridiculous twelve months, and it's just the, no one seems interested in the common sense answer to to what should have been an easy decision. Yeah, I mean the the the, the other side of this, Jack, is uh, as you say about um, the ticket prices. There uh, there is at least a small consolation for City fans that their flights and and the PCR tests are being covered by the club because um, you know Chelsea fans haven't got that luxury right now. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a good, it's a really really good thing that the that the club have done. Um, I didn't realise they were also paying for the PCR tests, which is which is a big thing. Um, yeah, you've got to, you you have to praise them for that. I think it's fantastic. I I don't know, um, I don't know what the score is when those fans get to Portugal. Uh, I don't know whether they're they're then kind of herded towards fan parks and 
straight to the ground or what time the flight's going to be, how many of the, how many flights there are going to be. Um, but that kind of feeds into the whole, and this isn't City's fault, but feeds into the whole shambolic nature of the organisation. Yeah, I mean, um, I, the, the, other, the other side, I don't even know if, if you're able to travel to this game not on, a, on an official package, you know, I make your own you way are, there. I think, yeah, I think there's a, I'm sure I read the other day there's a small number of, the small number of tickets available to people that are making their own way there. But I mean, like everyone was so giddy and they were all booking the flights and whatever, weren't they? It's um, as soon as it became clear, it was, it was, it was going to be Porto. People quite rightly bought the, you know, got flights and hotels if they wanted to go. And then they're being told, well, you can have it for free. And it's like, well, what do I do? Um, it's just been a, it's just been a complete, complete mess. And I'd, I'd love to have known what the conversations were, what was said in the conversations between the government and UEFA about about Wembley, because um, the you know the EFL I think we're going to happily move the playoffs from Wembley to um, uh, to allow UEFA to hold it there, um, and then the kind of idea after the event was that the government didn't want to allow a certain kind of or a massive volume of VIPs to come over that UEFA kind of wanted and said they had to come. And I don't know whether UEFA have, this is me speculating completely, but I don't know whether UEFA have kind of chanced their arm a little bit because actually, and asked for more than they would do initially because actually they didn't want the game in London at all. Well, there was the theory that it was a political decision, wasn't there, to yeah. uh, to red list uh, Turkey in the end to make sure that it, to almost to bring the game to the UK, which I think UEFA were a little bit concerned about. So it's just that it's just been uh, it, it, the two weeks before the final should have been ever all exciting, all excitement, and everyone just like looking forward to the to the occasion because it's mad. Like people, the club have said, don't they? It's the biggest game in the club's history. Like you can you can want to win the Premier League more than anything else, but that doesn't mean that the European Cup final isn't the biggest game that they've ever taken part in. Um, and instead, the the two weeks running up to it has just been. Basically, thousands of people turn around going, "What the hell's going on?" Yeah, yeah. Well, let's finish on uh, a positive note because uh, Sean Pickles on Twitter has asked, uh, "Who is your pick for Player of the Year? Diaz, Gundogan, or Mares?" And uh, obviously, the news uh, this week has been that uh, Diaz has won the Football Writers Player of the Year. Uh, John, who would you who would you pick of, uh, of of those three? Yeah, really difficult. I mean, De Bruyne was in the top three for the FWA, um, but I would have to go for Ruben Diaz because of because of what he's done in, in transforming the defence, you know, his his impact has kind of turned around the season. You, know, you go back to that Leicester game, they lost 5-2. He just really steadied the ship, his organisation, just the way that he's brought back a, that love of defending. Um, he, you know, he's, he's inspiring in the dressing room. He's just been a, an absolutely fantastic sign, you know, and also he's a good defender as well. Uh, just He's just kind of been the full package. In turn, you know, it was eighteen months after. No, it was. It wasn't quite eighteen months, was it? But since Vincent Company left, there's just a huge hole in the city defence. Well, in, in fact, in the whole team, just missing that that leadership, that organisation, and that spirit which he's brought and turned the season around and turned it into what has become a comfortable title-winning season. Yeah, Jack. Uh, and, and any any word for Gundogan or Mares that you could that could even get close to Diaz for you? Uh, no, they've they've both been exceptional in kind of 
moments of the season, but Diaz has been the full package from from start to finish. Uh, it's it's amazing. Like he's 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 only the third the third player to win that FWA award. He's only the third one that's won it in his first season in England behind Klinsman and Gianfranco Zola. And to then to do that as a defender, and a defender hasn't worn it since 1989. Yeah, it's just like the, the, oh, everything. Everything's already been said about him, but the guy is just like a machine. He's like having it's like having a Terminator in your back four, and it. It's like he's just. I remember interviewing him uh, in January. I was lucky enough to interview him over Zoom, and he was just like oh, flipping out. I was like, he's 24 now. He's I can't believe I'm talking to a 23 year old the way he's talking about defending and like leadership and it was like talking to someone who'd been playing professional football for 15 years Yeah, um, and it's little wonder that people at the club think that he's a he's a captain in the future if he, if he stays at the club because he just pulls other people along with him I'm not going to lie it's, it's when you see that sort of thing from 23, 24 year olds Jack that makes me feel almost inadequate as a 33-year-old because I'm not sure I could sit there and give that interview. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm, I don't no, feel like I, I have that personality. I felt like the junior interviewing him, which I was like, oh, God, what, what am I doing in my life? What are you doing with your life, Jack? Um, <laughs> I don't really know, mate, to be honest. Kind of talking talking about how good footballers are that are kind of seven, <laughs> ten years younger than me. I, uh, I didn't mean to pass on my existential crisis onto you, Jack. I do apologise. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm kind of lost for words now, a little bit speechless. <laughs> I'm going to have a long, hard think after this. Yeah, right. Well, uh, I, I tell you what, I'll end the show there. That'll, uh, that, that'll make us all feel a bit better, I reckon. Uh, that's it for today's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks also to my guests, Gold.com's Jonathan Smith. Cheers. And the Daily Mail's Jack Gaunt. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Feel better soon, mate. Uh, if you'd like to hear some more, then we're talking about the best meaningless consolation goals that City have scored over on our Patreon show. You can get that by signing up to any of the tiers on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. You'll also get ad-free versions of the podcast each week too. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review in all the usual places and join us next week as we look ahead to the Champions League final. See you then. Was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.